What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Deer Vein Podcast, and this episode is specifically part of the Whitetail Series segment within my podcast. The Whitetail Series is 27 episodes in total, nine based around the early season, nine based around the pre-rut and rut, and nine based around the late season. So if you're having problems in one of those sections of the seasons, just sit down, binge these episodes. You'll get a lot of tips, a lot of tactics, a lot of strategies, You know, different types of places and areas to hunt and different types to try public land and private land, and you just get a lot of information and hopefully a lot of entertainment. I have guests on here from the Midwest, the East, and the South, so you're gonna it's going to likely retain relevancy for everybody. And then also these podcasts are going to be airing two to four weeks in advance of that section of the season so that you should be able to use the tactics that you listen to this year in your season this fall. So I hope it's a huge value to you guys. I really wanted to do it for myself, and I thought this would be a great share for everybody else. I also have a couple partners with this one, Onyx Hunt and Arrow Hunter Saddles. A couple great companies helping me advertise and push this out to everybody and just hopefully make everybody a better hunter and more successful this fall. Onyx Hunt, if you don't know, is a GPS mapping app where you get satellite maps, uh, topo maps, hybrid maps. It shows public and private land boundaries, which is a big reason that I got it. But uh, you can add waypoints, trails, all that kind of stuff as well. But the biggest reason I got it is because it works offline. A lot of the places I hunt don't have data, don't have service. So I can cache all those maps on my phone, walk around, and I still have all my waypoints. I can still use my GPS. And then as far as Arrow Hunter saddles go, like for me, Arrow Hunter saddles makes the most comfortable saddle, the Kestrel Flex. The Merlin just came out. Um, and if you're getting into saddle hunting or you want to try it, I really encourage you to take a look at them. Like I, like I said, I tried a few different saddles on. And the Kestrel Flex just fit me the best and was the most comfortable. And um, I, I, I really like them and most adjustable. Also, they're 100% made in the USA, which is a phenomenal piece. Um, I'm a big USA supporter. And if I can get keep all those jobs here in the US, I will for sure. So uh, go check those guys out if you're looking into saddles. Also use the code DVAIN10, that's the letter D and then VAIN, then the number's one zero at checkout and you'll get 10% off a saddle. All right. Without further ado, let's hop into the podcast. All right, everyone, welcome to the podcast. We got Jordan Barnes here from Georgia and Close Proximity TV. He's got a phenomenal YouTube channel, killed a really nice buck last year. I watched that one earlier today just to refresh myself on what you've been up to. Plus uh, Facebook and Instagram, you can find him on all that stuff. But uh, Jordan, why don't you tell people a little bit about where you're at and, and what your season's like and your terrain's like? And we'll dive into like some early season tactics and go over all that. Okay, cool. Um, so I'm originally from Bullock County, which uh, most people may be familiar with Savannah, Georgia, kind of a historical spot on the coast of Georgia. Uh, I was born and raised about 50 miles north of there uh, in Bullock County, Georgia. So that's Statesboro is the town in Bullock County. Uh, so that's right. kind of where I was born and raised. That's where you know, around, I guess, 10 years old, I started uh, hunting and stuff. Um, guy in our church actually started taking me. My dad never really deer hunted or anything, hunted at all. And I just used to play sports growing up and I got that hunting bug and that's all I wanted to do from that point on and really hadn't looked back. Um, I kind of quit sports and everything. And <laughs> all I've been doing is hunting ever since as much as I can. Yeah, man. I played, uh, I played a lot of sports in high school, um, as well. 
and then I played some in college too. And that was always a, a constant battle of like, all right, can I get out of practice early to go climb in the tree stand? Or yes, I get today off. Like I can get in the tree stand today. You know, just always fighting that and trying to figure out, you know, people always telling you, you have your whole life to hunt, you know, play your sports now because you're going to be done in, you know, four years and three years, whatever. And then, uh, but then your brain's always like, nah, I, I, I got trail cameras of this, pictures of this buck. I, I got to get out there, man. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Very man. real problem. Yeah, I remember where, where it really, the defining moment for me was um, ever since like T-ball, through probably seventh grade all I cared about was baseball and um I finally made made like the B team all-star team my sixth grade year and I was just obsessed with baseball that's all I wanted to do and then I finally made the A team all-star team seventh grade year and that by that same time I went turkey hunting for the first time and I straight up like quit. Coach <laughs> did not even believe my mom when he when she was like, uh, "Jordan's not going to be playing any more sports. He's going to be turkey on." <laughs> <laughs> you <But>, what? <laughs> yeah, I was hooked, man. Hooked on it. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um, so Georgia, Georgia early season. You know, being from Wisconsin, I'm thinking it's 100 degrees. Is that true? It can be, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Georgia, there is a reason why you just – you don't see many people, hardly anybody, just goes to Georgia and hunts public land and kills a bunch of big bucks, big mature deer. Uh, you know, in my opinion – uh, and I may be biased here, but I don't really think so because, you know, I've, I've kind of researched different states and I know kind of what people kill. But I'd say Georgia is right up there in one of the hardest places to deer hunt in the whole United States. Uh, just far as the pressure goes, um, just far as the realistic expectations. Uh, but there is great hunting in Georgia. It's just there's a process you have to follow in order to be successful in Georgia. Um, so, you know, that's deer, turkey, any, anything like that. Those two, those are the most sought after things in the South. This is the South, especially Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi. Uh, but I'd say especially Georgia, it's, most people, that's what, it's a lifestyle. That's what people do. Everybody turkey hunts, everybody deer hunts. Um, that's just kind of the thing people do. So whenever you have that, you're gonna have a lot more pressure. Uh, and it just makes it, it makes it harder. The topography, there's a lot of a learning curve. Uh, people come to Georgia, there's bed, there's bedding everywhere. You know, a, a buck can, he can literally escape pressure anywhere. Uh, so it's not like you can really target this specific, but this particular spot, there's going to be a buck here. I mean, it really requires a lot of boots on the ground, a lot of research, a lot of time in the woods, a lot of experiences that you're building on, um, kind of what the deer do as the season progresses. Uh, you have to be kind of up to date on your woodsmanship skills. You got to know what food sources deer are keying in on. You got to know, um, 
you know, how to find those out of the way spots. Uh, so all that kind of comes together. And then if you're looking for a mature buck and a nice representation of a mature buck, a deer in that mid twenties range in Georgia on public land, you're going to have to do a lot of research to figure out where is that a realistic expectation for me as far as the state of Georgia? Cause a lot of places in Georgia, you're just not going to find that type of deer. Uh, they're not behind every bush. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the challenges of it. Um, now, you know, it might be different if you're just trying to kill a buck. Um, but I'm not, that's not really what I'm after. Uh, I'm after a mature buck in his element, uh, where I'm hunting, you know what I mean? So sure. That's kind of how I, I break it down. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you, you gave me enough topics there to talk for the entire hour. <laughs> um, one thing that I have noticed, cause I talked to, uh, chasing tails out of Florida and they had a very similar kind of approach in the sense that when bucks can bed everywhere, when you have terrain that just vegetation's everywhere, you know, hidey holes are everywhere, thickets are all over the place. It doesn't, it's not like you can just find a, find a pinch point or a funnel on a satellite map and go sit it and kill a buck in three days during the rut. Like it's just like, because they can go anywhere, it just right. takes a ton of time and boots on the ground and experience understand right. where the deer are moving when they're moving and how they're getting to and from a to b and sure. what even point a and point b is right. you know that's always a hard part in general anyway and, and and i mean we do have we have inside corners we have uh you know points where a river or creek hits a big bend and you have a topo line of a little ridge that necks down tight to that bend in the river or creek so we have little natural pinches. We have, uh, you know, your, your natural bottlenecks with you got big blocks of land and stuff. There's some of that everywhere. Uh, it's just a lot of research to find those type of areas. And then when you find that type of area, is there flagging there? Is there bright eyes there? Uh, how accessible is it? How hard is it being hunted? Is it, has it been discovered? So there's sure. a lot of other little things and, and really what I do is kind of think outside the box. A lot of times I'll use creeks to access. Um, I'll sometimes I'll go really, really deep. And sometimes I might be hunting just on the other side of a boat landing of a slough, uh, because that's where there's a giant persimmon that's loaded, you know, uh, and I know you're going to be hitting that. And I know there's a little out of the way out of a whole hole in the wall bedding area right there that a buck's probably going to be targeting. Um, so, you know, you can find that type of stuff and you can key in on that type of stuff. Uh, but I mean, some of my best sets in the state of Georgia right now in public are, I mean, I have to walk with waders across a deep Creek, walk way around a big Ridge, half a mile, and then loop into a big swamp and walk waste water all the way to a willow tree that's two foot under the water. And my stands 10 foot off the ground and I'm hunting, a tiny peninsula in between, you know, two swamps and nobody's going to go there. And there's <laughs> browse pressure all in there. There's buck beds that are in there. Um, and everything's set up that when the pressure's on, I feel like I put money on that spot to produce a big, you know, buck, but it's kind of them things where just cause you find a good spot in Georgia, there's a lot of other little factors that 
have to line up for that to be a success. So yeah. I have to walk through two food plots to get to that spot. So I'm not going to go in there at three in the morning. I'm going to go in there after daylight and go in there after the deer are already starting to go back to that island. You know, that's when I'll make my, my access in there. Uh, and it'll be an all day sit more than likely. Um, in Georgia, I'm not one of those that um, preaches buck bedding too much. Uh, really, I'm just not that kind of hunter in general. Now, I like to know where a buck's bedding, uh, but I'm not gonna, I'm not that risky. I'm not gonna push the envelope to get right on top of his bed. I'm more of a, let's have a backdoor access and slide into that 100, 150 range and catch him slipping back into the bed or leaving the bed. That's kind of my strategy. Sure. As, as it relates to buck bedding, at least. Yeah. Do you still, do you use that strategy like in the early season or is that mainly like a, a rut time frame thing? It really depends. Um, the, I hate the rut. Okay. I'm not a rut guy. Um, I prefer pre-rut. I prefer bucks that aren't running 90 to nothing. I prefer bucks that are cruising and kind of starting to check for does, you know, those first available does. I like second rut a lot because those bucks are, there's less does around and they're doing more cruising than they probably normally would pre-rut. Mm -hmm. you know, in Georgia, our buck to doe ratio is terrible in a lot of places. So, you know, if he's got, if he can cruise a little bit pre-rut before the first rut and he can find a doe here, there, here, and there, then he's not having to go as far. Um, that second rut, whatever's already been, you know, everything's already been bred, whatever hadn't been bred is coming back in estrus, then I feel like I got a little bit better chance to see a mature buck cruising a little bit more. Um, that's sure. not to say that I don't, you know, hunt the rut. I hunt as much as I can. Uh, but I feel like I get more excited about that first pre-rut and that second rut. Got it. All right. So then it's like, what are your, what are your strategies then for, um, early season? Are you just going after food sources? I mean, you mentioned persimmon trees. So, yeah. Er, so this is kind of my strategy. This is how I kind of break down my season as far as the first portion of it. So, um, I've worked really hard to lock down about four or five different private land tracks. They could range in acreage to 15 acres all the way out to 300 acres. Um, on each of those, some are so small that I'm confined to a very small area. So the strategy on those smaller tracks is not to test the limits. It's to decrease the pressure, increase the security, so that's screening cover, sorghum, Sudan grass, BMR, sugar grazer. That's a, a very drought tolerant, uh, very easy to grow uh, screening cover. And it's in the sorghum family, but it grows about 10 foot tall. Very similar to Egyptian wheat, but doesn't have the disease susceptibility that Egyptian wheat has. So I use that to screen all my plots. Uh, plots are in range from an acre to two acres. Some are half acre. And then I'll increase the security around those. So I'll do about 10 yards all the way around the food plot. And then some of them, I'll cut the food plot into sections. So a buck, when he's cruising, a lot of times, he's going to be cruising that food plot. And I've had bucks, well, they'll just stop. 
if they can see that whole food plot, they're going to stop in the wood line and they're going to look. So they're checking with their nose, but they're also going to be looking, is there a doe out in that food plot? And, yeah. you know, I, and sometimes I've had bucks where they'll just stop and lock up. And if they can't scent check the whole thing, but half of it, but they don't see anything, they're not going to come on out. Um, not always, but sometimes that's kind of what they do. So I like to break up that food plot with some structure. It's kind of like almost uh, the same principle why you would do some TSI or hinge cutting on a piece of property where you're creating structure uh, if there's a lack of structure. It's kind of like putting structure in a bass pond. You know, those yeah. bass kind of flock to that structure so they just feel safer. That's kind of the same thing I'm doing on those food plots, trying to make it as appealing as I possibly can for a buck to feel safe in that area. Um, you know, a lot of those places might have some does here and there, some more than others. But if I can give him uh, the highest concentration of carbohydrates and protein early, that's what he's going to be keying in on, on those little private tracks. So okay. on the smaller ones, if I can give him all the carbohydrates that he needs to carb load to bulk before the rut, that's what he's going to be seeking out naturally anyhow. So if I can produce, put all that in one area and give him structure, that's kind of my go-to strategy on an early season buck um, in Georgia. Okay. What are you putting in for tracks? What are you putting in for uh, like food plots? Okay, so I got the um, sorghum Sudan as a structure. And then what I do is I basically, I, right now I've only got one food plot that I'm going to have to break ground on because it's a newer food plot. The other food plots I've already broke the ground once. I planted last year's crop. I came back and terminated it uh, this summer and then mowed it. And I've just been spraying it right now. So I've created a layer of thatch in that food plot. So I don't want to keep turning that because early season, what are you going to have a problem with? In Georgia, it's hot. You'll have weeds. So what I've done is created that layer of thatch with last year's crop. I let it get head high and then I mowed it. And then I've kept spraying it. So I've got that layer of thatch. So what I'll do is I'm going to spread, you know, over the top, way more than the recommended seed rate. I think for wheat, it's like 100 pounds an acre. I'm going to go like 200 pounds to the acre. And all that wheat's going to fall down in the crevices of that thatch and it's going to sprout. So what that's going to do is it's going to be giving me a high stem count on wheat. So they're going to break, they're going to graze that really, really hard because wheat's, See, you know, winter wheat's really high in carbohydrate and it's very tender. And if you have a high stem count, every plant's more tender as opposed to having a broader leaf stem on each one. So you do high stem count. That thatch is going to give me uh, better resistance to weeds. So I'm not re disturbing that soil profile and kicking back up coffee weed and all this other stuff that's really hard to get rid of. Um, it's going to help insulate moisture for the plant. So all those things kind of help to just give me a solid month time frame where that buck's going to be the most susceptible early season. That's kind of my sure. strategy. Coming in and feeding on that wheat, winter wheat. Feeding on that wheat. I'll, hey, I'm not bashful. I'll, it's legal in Georgia. I'll, dump, I'll be dumping corn too, carbohydrates. Um, I'll throw a cell cam on it. And I'll have all that in one spot. 
uh, on all those food plots. I have a bulletproof backdoor access. I know what wind I need to hunt that on. And I'm not going in there to hunt until the time's right. You know, it, and if it's to the point where I don't have any mature bucks that are on a good pattern, and I don't see a good window of a, a front moving in or high barometric pressure or favorable uh, positions of the moon and stuff like that, I'll just start barreling through my public stuff early season until one of those little private spots picks up a target buck. And then my radar goes off, and then I kind of hone in on that. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense, kind of leaving, leaving your premium spots for because you still like to hunt right everybody wants to hunt every chance they can mm -hmm. the more you're in the woods the more you learn but right. at the same time you don't want to just destroy those private land pieces that you work so hard to build up and keep the pressure low and you know have that bulletproof entry and exit like you're saying right well then you go bomb on the public and check everything out there see what you right. can find so before the season i'm just building those food plots staging them up to where everything's sprayed I've got a layer of thatch on everything. I've, I've already, I've either had a cover crop on it that I terminated, this created that layer of thatch, or I've got last year's stuff that's came up that I terminated and mowed, and I've just been spraying new weeds that come up. I'm just killing those things with glyphosate and uh, crop oil and um, 2,4-D, and I'm just keeping those clean. And when the time's right, like this weekend, I'll come in there with like a Polaris Ranger and a spreader and I'll just spread seed wheat all over the place. Um, and then that's kind of the strategy to where those are built up. I got all those running right. And then um, I'm diving into all my public. I'm not going into stands that I'm planning on hunting pre-rut and fixing them up and all that. All that stuff's already been done. So those sets, that access, everything has already been done. I can pretty much break down a piece of public. Uh, and over the years, I know these spots right here are going to be the most profitable spots strategically on this piece of public. And I know that. So I've already got spots set up, whether it's a tree I'm going to climb. The access is already done. Everything's already done. So I'm not really focusing on those spots pre uh, early season i've already got that all set up i'm going to go to public and i'm going to look for you know if we're in a drought i'm looking for okay what what sloughs are holding water what water holes are available that are kind of out the beaten path um what willow oaks are loaded so in georgia we don't have pin oaks a lot of people think they refer to a willow oak a lot of times as a pin oak Pin oaks, you won't find those till you get up in Tennessee, I believe. But we have what's called in the swamps, it's called a willow oak. And it grows up on the hill sometimes too. But uh, I'll look for those willow oaks. I'll check them binoculars, see which ones are loaded. See which ones are loaded that are close to a place that I know a buck should be laying in that general area. Uh, I don't really run cameras on public. It's just kind of going off, an, off of like what I think, what my gut's telling me. Um, I'll right. check, I'll check persimmons. I'll check those a lot of times. Um, I'll give you an example. I checked a big river swamp the other day, found a giant persimmon right across from this little, uh, boat landing in a slough. 
So it's on the very far other side of the slough. So you got to walk probably a half a mile to get just to the other side of that boat landing where I can just kayak right on down in there and I'm backdoor access for like a Southeast wind and I can slide right in there. There's a bedding area right there. So that's kind of, I look for persimmons. Um, your wild grapes, what we have down here, people refer to them as muscadines or bullaces. Those are falling right now. Just they're about going to be played out by the time season comes. Uh, okay. Deer target those a lot of times. How uh, do you, uh, you said, you said you got like a gut feeling or where you think a buck's going to be. If you're, if you're like walking through the woods and you're mentoring, let, let's say like uh, your son or, or a kid that's just figuring out, how are you going to explain to them like where a buck is going to be? Well, early season on public in Georgia is probably the hardest time to figure out exactly where a buck's going to be because a lot of our public, we don't have big ag fields. Right. No, it's, yeah. We have a lot to ag in southeast Georgia and Georgia in general from mid-Georgia on down. We have a lot of agriculture, a lot of cotton, a lot of peanuts, a lot of some corn, um, but we, and some soybeans, but we don't have a lot of, it's not like the Midwest or Kentucky or Illinois or Iowa where you go out there and there's a bunch of public and it's all planted in ag. You don't find, I'll bet you, I'd be willing to say there's under, in my area, I don't know of any public that is ag at all or any public that borders ag. We just don't have it. So when you're trying to target a buck early season on public, it's it's a crapshoot, really, man. It really is. I, no, that's yeah, that, that's good. That's good for people to know because I think people a lot of times are looking for a silver bullet, and and it just and sometimes it just doesn't exist. And you just gotta, like you were saying earlier, you just gotta you gotta get out there. You gotta get experience. You gotta get years of historical data and years of experiences to go all right, you know, it's a cold front, you know, this neighboring private over here does have something planted or this persimmon tree is dropping really well this year. And two years ago, I had a buck hit this, you know, on my way out and I bumped him and I know he was good. So maybe if I go back over here, I can have that opportunity. Right. And I think another good topic is as it relates to Georgia early season on public targeting a buck, our deer in Georgia in my experience, our bucks are not bedding in the thick stuff in the early season. They're not. Uh, they got okay. on their antlers. And, you know, you might have some transition early season once they shed that velvet. But as far as, like, that first week or so, they're not bedding in the thickest stuff you can find on public. They're, when is your opening day? Real quick. Sorry. Second Saturday in September. So it's always the week okay. after Kentucky because I always go to Kentucky – that opening weekend of Kentucky, and then the next weekend I'm in Georgia. So sure. I'm looking at bucks. I'm looking at persimmons that are on the edge of swamps where it's open, where he can tuck up on the hill and kind of see a little ways or a little pocket of a bedding area where they got that swamp grass and privet where it's not too thick, where he can lay up in there. He's got the slough. He's got some water. He's got a water hole over here. He's got a creek. He's got a persimmon or a willow oak that's right there close to that area that's a good spot that i would think you know would probably hold a mature buck um a lot of people are going to dump the first doe they see i'm i'm not i'm going to do that on like an off the wall little spot somewhere 
Um, on an early season, I'm targeting, like I say, those persimmons is what I'm going to look for, and I'm looking for willow oaks as far as early season public in Georgia. Now, you can on some places in Georgia, you know, we've got some spots where you might be able to do an observation sit on like a power line, or there might be a big CRP uh, area in the swamp, and that could be beneficial to climb from a distance early season before the season comes in and kind of watch those. Uh, and sure. kind of you can put eyes on a buck. Uh, that's definitely doable. Uh, I'm not saying it's not doable, but it's probably not your go-to method. My go-to method's probably going to be find like a creek bottom or something like that that's got a lot of the food sources that those bucks are going to be nipping, that natural browsing stuff where it's open in the bottom, uh, where it's away from people. Uh, that's an area kind of, I've got a couple in mind that I'm going to target early season where I'll go in there in the evening time, not in the morning. Uh, I don't like to hunt mornings if I'm targeting a buck early season. Not that you can't do it. I just like to have that element of surprise in my favor. And uh, I know where there's a few bucks that traditionally bed in different spots that are tucked out the way, creek bottoms and stuff like that and swamps. And I'll be trying to kind of target food sources that are close to that general area. Got That's it. My so it's, yeah. So it's mainly, it's mainly the food. If, if you were somebody in, you know, you, you bought a bow for the first time in July, you don't have a mentor, you got nobody to help you out. You're like, man, I want to, I want to just try this, you know, and you're going out on public, you're looking for a, you're looking for a food source that has deer tracks in the area. Yeah. Right. That's what you're after. Yeah. And a, and a lot of times, like, you know, traditionally I'm normally picking up some target bucks on those smaller private spots that have food plots that I've, you know, broke my back over where I've created some of those food plots with a weed eater and a chainsaw and an ax and a shovel. You know? <laughs> sure. And and I've created a two acre food plot and I've pulled a lime buggy from with my truck with 5,000 pounds of lime and I've got the soil right and I've, sprayed it a bunch and I've manicured it and I've got the security cover and the backdoor access and all that. I'm normally picking up some target deer on those. So traditionally I'm not having to like, you know, scratch and claw in public early season to find one. Right. Uh, I'm bouncing around the food sources that I've found from my preseason scouting. I'm bouncing around to the persimmons that I know that are there, that are in good locations. I'm bouncing around to the creek bottoms. I'm bouncing around to the little secluded water holes if we have a drought. Um, and I'm doing that when I'm not picking something up somewhere else. Right. So that's kind of the, the thing. You can go on your Onyx app and just hit the topo layer. If you're looking at public and it's, it's in a time period where it's dry and hit that thing and then you can find little holes of water and go check those little ponds and stuff in Georgia on public. That's a good thing I like to do. Sure. Early season. And then a lot of it, man, like the other day, I walked 10 miles, 9.9 .9 miles, just scouting early season food. I saw that, 24,000 steps. <laughs> yeah, not much elevation change there, but, you know, yeah. found uh, one, two, found two really good dropping persimmons that I'll come back to. Okay. So, you know, and I found – two or three loaded little groves of willow oaks so do you ever do you ever like 
and I've found myself doing this here and there, and I wonder if you do the same thing, which is sometimes you find, you know, a good oak or you find like for me, it'd be a good apple tree. Like I have a few spots that have great apple trees on them. And, um, and I get there and I check it all out and everything and it looks phenomenal, but I can't will it to be good. And I know that those deer are just hitting it in nocturnal or maybe the first opening day because it's just too close to the parking lot. Right. So then you just kind of pass those spots up and go, man, it's just, it's going to be a waste of a sit. Do you well, do that as well or no? Well, in Georgia, see, and, and I've found like some of my best spots, not all, I'd say I probably hunt one, two, three. I probably hunt four to five public areas in Georgia are the ones I really key in on that I think give me the best opportunity at a okay. mature all right. So out of those spots, I've probably narrowed down that much land to probably 15 of the best trees on 150,000 acres. So I've found the 15 sure. best trees in my mind that will produce a buck. And, and that's just years of walking and experience and sitting and right. having a lot of failures. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, okay. And a lot of that is in the, in the last five years, probably. Cause see, I moved up here and that's when I found some better public back, back home. It was kind of different. Um, up here, I can kind of find a better deer. So I'd say sure. I've whittled it down over the last five years to 15 trees. And okay. like I say, two years ago, I had a stud deer that I let walk came right by me pre rut. Everything's lined up. Perfect. And I just chose not to shoot him because I had, um, here, I'll show you. I have one buck tag. For anyone listening, Jordan's getting an, oh man, so it's a I hell have, of a shed. I have one buck tag and uh, I don't know if, can you see this whole thing? Yeah. I mean, it's a phenomenal for everybody listening. It's a mainframe 12 actually. Yeah. It's a mainframe so, in Georgia, which is very odd, and it's a high 40s deer, which is very odd in Georgia. So I had one tag, and this guy was running around uh, one of my private pieces. It was actually a bigger private piece uh, that I don't have much betting on, but he was kind of showing up some, so that's why I let that other deer on public yeah. flow that was mature. But on that one, um, you know, that was a walk a creek, a half a mile in there, um, I'll clean out creeks a lot of times. So I've got a clean, easy access yeah. hip boots and I'm basically climbing from the bank right up the tree. And he was coming down the inside corner, cruising from one bed area to the next. And, uh, you know, but I can narrow down the best trees on the land that I'm hunting. And for every reason, which it may be probably of those 15, spots i've probably got four that are right off the road i mean they're not far at all one of them's off a highway one of them is right off the main road that goes up to a power line everybody walks right by it and they disregard it um i found that one by just scouting midday walked across the power line took i busted through this power line and when i get to the open woods where there's like some water oaks and stuff up on a hill swamp below 
uh, this buck was asleep. No. Yeah. Really? I mean, I busted through all that stuff and nothing got up or anything. And I took one step into that block of woods and that buck jumped up, kind of startled him and he just walked off and I had no bow with me, nothing. And he was, I mean, he was a deer kind of like that. I mean, he was a stud for Georgia. He was a monster. And that deer was just sitting up on the hill right by where everybody walks. They don't walk up and across the power line through all that thick stuff to get to that little hill. And he was just sitting right there on a west wind with a window's back, looking back straight to where 150 yards down that power line, there's an opening where it's not thick. And that's where everybody walks across the power line and everybody hunts the Oak Ridge on down. <laughs> you could see from his bed you could see the flagging way out through the woods and that's what he was doing he was just and, sitting uh, there chilling watching everyone come through i feel like i've heard that story a few times from different people and you know those those mature bucks they you know a lot of times they don't go they don't roam with other deer they find the spots that they like and that they're secluded right and they can see a lot of access and they can see where where people are coming in from they understand what's going to kill them they know it's not that fox or that coyote really they they know it's us right so if they can they can keep an eye on us you know it's very likely that they'll stay alive right and it's one of those things where you know uh he doesn't get big and old by being dumb right and yeah. and i think if people if people respect his nose, you know, he doesn't have wings to fly away. He doesn't have <laughs> fangs to defend himself. He's got that nose. And no matter what anyone says, no matter what gimmick this out there or what thing this out there, whether it's this scent product or that scent product, um, it's my belief that you're just not going to fool a mature buck's nose and especially not in the Southeast. So that's why I kind of, I plan all my approaches for the right time whether it's early, mid, late, it's the right time of the year. I have a bulletproof backdoor access. Uh, it might mean that I wait till it gets light to slither in. It might mean that I know that he might be somewhere else in the middle of the night and I go in there at three in the morning and just camp out and wait for him to come back. So, you know, respecting the nose, uh, like you said, I think it's key. Another thing I do a lot of times, whether it's early or late, is uh, I talked about hip boots. I mean, I I make my living on hip boots, hip boots and a kayak. Um, I I discovered hip hip boots about three years ago, and they are a phenomenal tool. Yep. I mean, and they're they're cheap too. They're only like you know up here we got farm and fleets, fleet farms, and you go there sixty bucks, you get yourself a pair of hip boots that are just pure rubber, got yep. very little scent, and you can trash the crap out of them and get a new one next year for sixty bucks. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm wearing, um, so I had some old school Cabela's ones and, uh, they're neoprene and they're actually not that hot in the early season and they're pretty warm when it gets cold. And I had them two years ago on a pre-rut trip to Kentucky and I had them on my kayak and I've got like a little hitch haul goes in the back of my Toyota and I have the kayak on that strapped down and one of them blew off. So I lost them, uh, but I ended up finding, no one made them. I could not find a neoprene hip boot anywhere. And then uh, Bass Pro came out with one 
like last year. So I picked up two pairs of them. Okay. I wear those uh, and that kayak, man. I'm big on the kayak. Yeah, man. I actually left, I flat out left a pair of two month old, nice lacrosse boots at a public land parking lot. I went back the next morning at 9am. Those, those were long gone. (laughs) I was, I was pissed about that, but I got, yeah, I just got non-insulated frog togs or the brand that I bought. And that's, I mean, like they do the job for what I need them to. And I don't wear them every single time I go, but man, to get, to get across creeks that are deeper, you know, than knee high, they're just, they're phenomenal and get through that nasty swamp and all that stuff. Cause I hunt, I hunt a lot of public swamp as well and uh, stuff that stops other people because they only have knee highs doesn't stop me. And especially if you can find areas where like a lot of people, like you, like you mentioned earlier, they'll get out of the truck and throw on waders and they'll walk whatever they want to in waders. And then, uh, and then, you know, take off their waders and then just wear like Crocs or whatever the hell they want to, to their stand or something like that. Something easy and packable. Um, but I've found that if you can find a swamp that's, that you got to cross, that's more than like two, 300 yards away, people don't like walking in waders, like on dry ground, more than a hundred yards. Like they just don't do it. Like they'll just be like, ah, I'm not going to haul my waders out there to put them on out there and then cross and then do that whole thing again. If you're willing to do that, you can definitely get away from pressure. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I'll say another thing. So some of the public I hunt in Georgia is very different in topography and habitat. So one of the places, so one of the places is more on the Southern end. It has a lot of like sand hills and scrub oaks up top. And then it has the SMZs that drain down to the river. I'm sorry, what are SMZs? Stream management zones, basically little creeks. Okay. So on those creeks, you have a lot of gallberry and stuff like that. And where all that meets the swamp, the swamp's probably 200 yards to the river or the creek. So on those little pockets where the SMZ hits the swamp, that's where the deer are bedding right now in that habitat. Oh, okay. What I've found is I've got one spot where I've got a little sneak trail where I drag the kayak from the parking spot and I drag that kayak into the creek. And so from there, I had to take a chainsaw like two years ago I had to go in there and cut the logs, the dead logs out of the creek and clean the whole three quarter of a mile access route out all the way to the tree. So that way when it water gets up, I can just paddle right up to the tree and I'm deep in there where no one's gonna walk and bust through all those thickets and all that stuff to get to it. And I'm going way around and just sneaking right in the back door and those deer, I'm in between two of those mouths of the SMZs and the gallberries and all that stuff. And so what I'm doing is I'm just catching in the pre-rut, I'm catching those bucks traveling back and forth, checking those little doe beds. And uh, where I'm at is where the river makes a big turn and a big bend. And where it turns and bends, there's a ridge that necks down at that turn. So I'm right on a little pinch point right there. And uh, early season, I could go in there and, you know, there's a chance that, you know, I might kill a buck. But that's one of those places, like in that area, Georgia, the rut is two different time frames. So 
I could see pre-rut activity on that spot as early as first week of October. Very possible. First week okay. of October, I could already have bucks checking those areas. And that's kind of considered – it's kind of funny. Early season. It's kind of considered early season. Yeah, but, I consider early season kind of anything before October 15th. Right. Like, you know, you're kind of October 10th to the 15th. You can get be, be looking pre-rut. But a lot of people – don't even open until October 1st. Right. You so know. a lot of change in Georgia as far as what I'm targeting week to week going yeah. into that early season time frame. And uh, in that area of public that I'm hunting this more south, I'm going to be really diving into those best spots during that time frame. And so the strategy is more kind of pre-rut focused uh, right there. And okay, it's probably one gotcha. of my better spots. You've mentioned uh, multiple times like bulletproof backdoor access. Can you just explain to anybody who's not familiar? I, I understand. I pre I'm pretty sure I understand exactly what you're talking about, but can you explain that concept? Sure. So it, it all goes down. It goes back to the element of surprise and, you know, respecting the deer's nose and his sense senses to stay alive. So I don't want to tip him off to anything. I'm not going into spots that I'm planning on hunting this year. I'm not going in there anytime before turkey season at all. Uh, so, I mean, after turkey season. So, after okay. turkey season, I'm not touching any of those things till I'm ready to go in there and kill the deer. Um, I think a lot, of, a lot of times people fall into the mistake of, man, they're so excited about a spot and they want to go in there and kind of change something here and there. And they want to kind of just, oh, man, it looks good. And they're excited about it. And they want to put a camera in there and all this other stuff. I don't run cameras at all really on public here and there i might throw one up but for the most part my cameras are on private my public's for it's almost like a total different mentality and i like to have a i like to have a good balance because while i enjoy the traditional you know georgia feel of hunting a food plot or you know putting out corn on a food plot and doing all that stuff i also enjoy the art of woodsmanship and figuring it out naturally you know yeah, I mean? the grind of the public land, natural and, hunt. And yeah. not not to disrespect the traditional approach. Because, no, no, not at all. I've, I've heard people say, you know, if you sit on a food plot, that's not hunting. Well, it most <laughs> definitely is hunting because a big buck's just not going to stroll out in a food plot. There's still a lot of dynamics that has to come together to be consistently putting mature bucks in a food plot scenario. A lot of people who say that, are people who haven't hunted food plots right you know? or like, they just yeah. don't know what they're doing you know what i mean right yeah and, i agree to their respect they don't really have to because that's just not their style you know what i mean um, right they kind of automatically discredit that as hunting when in reality there's a lot of moving parts to that to make that work like you said going back to what you said the back door access yeah um, you can have the best food plot the best structure, everything's, you've dropped it. I like to strategically drop the food plot in the right place so it's close to where he should be bedding, all right? Um, so you can do all those things. You can check all those boxes. You can get the soil pH perfect. You can have your thatch down and sprayed and everything's good to go. And you've got, you time the rain right and you've got the security cover and you've got all that stuff. And you might even have a good wind, but you go in there and you're having to 
cross either his trail or you're going to have to cross a spot that he could maybe see you or you're having to make a bunch of racket or you're brushing up against a lot of brush and stuff where your scent profile is put on that stuff even if there's you know a downpour or a little a rain or whatever something like that you're still leaving a presence behind more than you need to so you can have all that other stuff right but mess up that access point and the whole thing's just thrown out into the trash so that's kind yeah. of what i'm meaning to the viewer is as far as a backdoor access you want to access at the right time of the day depending on what you have to cross to get there uh you want to not touch anything if you can go ahead and knock out those backdoor accesses well in advance whether that's cutting it back um on a spot where a deer's not going to use that to access the plot to give them other angles to come in that are more favorable um and do all that stuff where you're not brushing up against stuff you're not able to be seen any of that stuff you get in silent and quiet um your odds are a lot better to get multiple hunts off of that set early season you're giving you're stacking the cards if that makes sense all in your favor like yeah. i can hunt the one of the bucks i killed last year georgia i had a chance to kill him early season multiple times but i was losing i lost camera light a few times and i ended up killing the deer later in the year but i have in that spot where I can slip down the back door access right off a highway and I can slide right in there. I've got screening cover blocking me the whole entire way and I can slide right into that stand without being seen and I can get out of that set without being seen in the dark. And the deer's still all out there in the food plot. Uh, and I've got that screening cover in front of the stand, 10 yards deep, 10 foot tall. I can shoot over it, but I can slip out of it. So right. when he's on that pattern where he's carb loading and coming in there and trying to pack on weight, I can get in there and out of there provided the right wind multiple times. And that's going to give me a better chance to kill him. Nah, that's, that's extremely, extremely solid advice. Um, I think a lot of people only take into consideration their wind from the stand. Once they're in the stand, where's my wind going? not necessarily the whole entry and exit. And to your point earlier, that buck that was up on that little hillside, he was watching everyone come in and out, you know? And I'm sure when you went, when you were busting through that brush to get to that, you still had the wind in your favor. Cause if he would have smelt you, he would have got the hell out of there. Yeah. You know, he was kind of used to the noise and didn't really care about the noise so much, but man, human scent hits their nose and away they go. Like they know. He was right here. The wind was going over his head. And I was coming in on an off wind right below him. Yeah. And he was looking and he was actually, his wind was actually not going to be able to, he was going to be able to smell anybody coming in from his backside, but he was going to be able to see anybody that's walking to hunt that ridge 150 yards through the timber where it's open. He, he could be able to see where that flagging was. He was watching that flagging trail. So sure. yeah, that's, that's really, man, what I look for. Um, Georgia is just, man, it's just tough. It's a tough state, especially early. If I was coming to Georgia and I was trying to kill uh, a mature buck on public, depending on what area of Georgia uh, I was going to would depend on what time of the year I was coming. If I was hunting like South Georgia, or actually 
if I was hunting southeast Georgia, I'm coming like that second week in October. If I'm hunting southwest Georgia, I might not come till December because their rut's like Alabama rut. It's like December. Uh, if I'm hunting like middle Georgia, I'm I'm hunting like late October to first week in November. So yeah, it's it's uh Georgia is quite different because we've had a lot of deer that back in the day when our deer numbers were down to nothing, they trapped and transferred deer from Wisconsin. Uh, they transferred deer from the islands, uh, the coastal islands. So those genetic, those are, those ruts are earlier in the year. So gotcha. you, you could literally hunt Georgia. You could hunt the rut almost most of the season. <laughs> and you just slid around enough. Do you only get one buck tag for the whole state annually? Or you get two. Okay. You get two bucks. Um, they've changed it to where I think one of them's got to have four points on one side or better. Uh, the other sure. can be anything. It can be an Alabama 11 pointer. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's how, how they do it. Um, it's, it's better. It's getting better. I mean, I don't really care what anybody shoots, you know, it's their tag as long as they're yeah. following the legal limit and, you know, they shoot where they want to shoot as far as I'm concerned. But you know, there's, there's, there's big deer in Georgia on public. It's just kind of breaking down specific areas that are going to give you the best chance at one. Sure. So, yeah. Oh, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And before, before you were talking, before we started the podcast here, you were telling me about like different hunting pressure and it's not just other bow hunters. Um, in Georgia, you can actually run dogs for deer too, right? Yeah. The public, Which, man, that's gotta be a hell of a, hell of a page turner for you. Like, well, I guess this spot's blown out. Well, back in the day when I was hunting back home, um, you know, I would hunt all year. It would take me all year just to find target and kill one mature buck with my bow. I mean, it, the, dog hunting pressure and you know that's a tradition and you know i think tradition should be protected and everything but that's just kind of the reality of hunting in south georgia's you've got dogs running all over the place uh you've got people shooting you know a buck just for a picture on saturday which is cool like i say they can shoot whatever they want they've got their limit that they can abide by just like i can but it just it does make it a lot tougher in in the southeast part of georgia um trying to think of what I was going to tell you uh when you get up in there to that middle region you don't have as much dog hunting there's no there's no dog hunting and people running deer with dogs but what you do run into that same buck we were talking about that was bedded watching that flagging trail yeah I went in for a bump and dump hunt on him the next morning and what you're going to run into in Georgia is that it's pretty cutthroat our public um, I grant common courtesy to everybody I come across. Uh, I want to treat, I treat them just like I would want to be treated, but unfortunately it does, it's not always reciprocated because I went in there, was in there, parked an hour before flight, got in, got in on that bump and dump set, got set up, everything was good. And then at like 30 minutes after daylight, I hear a bunch of beagles coming through and this guy's running rabbits all through like he parked right next to my truck and turned out a pack of rabbit dogs. So that kind of <laughs> torched the whole hunt, you know, yep. and come to find out you're not even allowed to turn. You're not even allowed to do that on that WMA. 
<laughs> oh, that bites. <laughs> around in Georgia, it's cut. People make their own rules in Georgia, man. It just makes her the beast. So that's why I rely uh, on most of my most places I hunt in Georgia, with exception to the right off the road spots that are overlooked. Most of them, you're gonna question your sanity when you step out the truck. <laughs> think like that in Georgia, you yeah. have a really good chance to be successful if you know what you're looking for. So every time I get out the truck in Georgia, most of the time when I'm going to hunt a set, I'm questioning my sanity as I step out the truck. <laughs> is this going to be worth it? Man, it's this is going to suck. It. It's going to suck. But when I get there, I feel like I'm in the chips. And yep. that's what you want is to feel like you're in the chips. Now, jump out of Georgia and run on up to another state I've hunted a lot early season lately, Kentucky you dive into a whole nother ball game. So I'm looking for a lot kind of different things in Kentucky than I'm looking for in Georgia as it relates to early season. Cause I don't have any, there's no private land I'm hunting in Kentucky. It's all public, but the good thing in Kentucky is I have other things I don't have in Georgia that I can play on. Like in Kentucky, I have ag that I can look at. And so when you dive into that early season kind of thing, there's different things that I'm targeting there. Um, like for example, beans, I'm targeting beans, but there's a lot of things people might want to know about beans on public early season, like Kentucky. So sure. If, if those beans are planted early, then you have a good chance to run up on, a mature buck and get an air in one early season. If those beans were planted, um, or if those beans, I, I swapped it up. If those beans are planted late. All right. I was, I didn't want to correct you because I don't know what your strategy is, but I was thinking. If those beans are planted early, it's not good because what's right. going to happen. Then they yellow up. Yeah. They're going to start yellowing up and then they're just not going to hit those. Um, I found the persimmons up there, they're not dropping early season really. They're dropping like late October in Kentucky, uh, the ones I've found. Um, and then that kind of boils back to, you got to time the beans kind of right. You want those that are planted later. And a lot of times those bucks are going to be laying in the beans, depending on where, where you're hunting them. Um, sure. so, you know, if you can catch it right, like two years ago, I caught it right. And I had 150 inch deer 40 yards from me. You know, and it just was, when you right as you set up. No, I. You or know, did he comment? He came in. Well, my strategy is the question your sanity to get there. Okay, check one, check that box. Drag a kayak a mile and a half to get into the water. Get covered up in seed ticks. Get there. Hang an observation set. Roughly, I want to be there at least two days for season. Watch it twice. Found the buck. Watch the buck saw where he went, saw the direction he was going. Uh, I look for shaded side of the field a lot of times. Okay. Get those beans that are planted late. So they're still, you know, highly, they're, they're seeking them out to browse them. And you're looking for the shaded side of that field. That's the direction I've seen they're going to go towards. And if the beans down in the ditches in the field, they're going to bed in those little cool areas in the beans. They're just going to bed there. 
and they're going to work towards that shaded side. And that's sure. what I did. And I found the buck. I went in to kill the deer and I had two sticks on a tree and there's poison ivy on that tree and I'm highly allergic. So I backed out, tucked back 10 yards deeper. And if I hadn't have done that, I'd have had like a 25 yard chip shot on that deer. So, oh man. So this year, uh, the beans <laughs> I found. For are, anybody not, not watching this on YouTube, you can see Jordan kind of squirming around in his chair right now, just thinking about that. <laughs> but you know, the, the next year, it took me two years to figure it out. I went back uh, last year and totally different area but just covering tons of public, thousands of acres. And I found another little, found a honey hole and I had a 140 inch eight pointer come through. And then I killed a 135 inch eight, nine pointer 30 minutes later, you know, second rut. So, yeah. you know, it's just, it takes a lot. It's a learning curve when you go somewhere new, it takes some time to figure it out. But once you figure it out, you've got something, you know? Right. So yeah, that, and then once you once you figure it out, that's a spot you can come to year over year, so long as you have that proper entry and exit route, and you play the wind properly, and you understand. Yep, that is something that's that's been a very common theme here is work across that historical data, and once you find those spots, do your best not to bugger them. You know they're good. You know there's going to be deer there. There's no need to go in there and bugger them up, right. and and cause a bunch of ruckus for no reason. And another thing is don't think that just because you've got a bean field that's been planted, uh, that was planted last year, that you're going to go in there early season, jump in the same observation set, watch it, same yada, 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 and then everything's good. Granted, if the beans were planted later, depending on the how much rain they had, depending on when farmers get in the field, that field might be rotated into corn this year. So right. you might be totally – a different strategy there you know what I, mean? I had yeah that's i i have a piece that i um that i hunt and one thing that i learned over a couple of years of hunting or well i learned it after the first year is there's a lot of crp on it and if i'm gonna kill a deer anywhere within the first three quarters of a mile on this piece it's got to be before pheasant season opens because yeah. the second pheasant season opens all them dogs are pushing everything out, which is kind of nice in a way because it actually pushes the deer to specific sections of that piece, right? They're, they can no longer bed in right. this 300-acre CRP field, right, or whatever. It's not that big. It's probably like 80 acres, but still. Yeah. Um, seems like 300 when you're walking through it. But there was another CRP field that was probably only, I don't know, 20, 30 acres, and that is now all corn, which changes kind of the whole dynamic of how deer are going to use that piece come November. Because once that corn gets picked, it's a premium food source or once that corn browns up. And it's a, it's a phenomenal bedding source right now. So you just lay in that corn all day until that gets picked. The other yeah. big thing is that, that that CRP and that corn was planted. It's pretty swampy. So it's it's and it backs right up to swamp as well. So it's entirely possible that the farmer won't even get it, be able to get in there this fall. And then you get just like a bedding haven for all these deer to just sit in, you sure. know, unless the pheasant hunters come in and push them all out, which I'm sure they will at some point. But uh, 
but yeah, it changes the entire dynamic of how deer are going to use that property when for the last 10 years that's been CRP and now it's corn. Oh yeah, um, yeah absolutely. And you know, I ran into that in Kentucky last year. Uh, I had a spot that was overlooked, uh, jam up little buck cruising corridor, checking a downwind side of a cedar thicket. Uh, sign was there confirmation of the sign. Everything looked good. Uh, even had a persimmon dropping right there on top of it. Backdoor access. Everything was perfect. And I get in there and there's guys squirrel hunting like in the middle of nowhere, man. Like I, I only know how many they had to walk to get there the way they came in. They walked a solid two miles to get back in there and I could hear them shoot the squirrel and I could hear the squirrel hit the ground. So, you know, I just, when, when that happened, and this is kind of how I found the new spot, is I just went to the places that I thought would be overlooked, that have high deer density, that I know that people just aren't going to put in the work to get to the, get to the spot, uh, that borders quality private land, that I know I've got a good chance. And, uh, I mean, it wasn't, I climbed one one little pinch point that morning, didn't see anything, got down, went down to another spot, midday, found some sun, no rubs in this particular spot, but I had seen some does the last trip I had went up to Kentucky. I'd been in that area and I'd seen a bunch of does come into this private field. So I swung around the back door of it and that's, there was no rubs in that area, but I knew there was favorable buck bedding on down and I just looked good to me. I climbed it and I was in the bucks like literally within an hour. So about one o'clock I started seeing deer. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's always nice. <laughs> yeah. The stuff that I'm hunting pretty much anywhere, whether it's Kentucky or whether it's in Georgia, most of the time, probably 90% of the time I'm questioning my sanity when I step out the cut. <laughs> And nah, that's it's good to know. That's what's worked for me. I mean, yeah, a, a lot of guys uh, probably have their own styles. It's worked for them and everything. But that's kind of that's what's put mature bucks on public in Georgia in front of me. That's what's put mature bucks on public in Kentucky in front of me. Is that kind of strategy? And then from that, after that, it's find what's favorable when when you're going to that spot that questions your sanity make sure you're going to a spot that checks all the boxes in your mind. Right. So you get that confirmation, you know, you're putting in the sweat equity, you're going to get there, question your sanity. You know, it should pay off when you get in the tree and you feel good about it. That's when you know you're in the chips, all the yeah. boxes checked, secluded food source, travel corridor, hard to get to high deer density, good private next door to it. Question the sanity. Kennedy again, check that box a second time. And when you have that confidence in that tree and you've got that level of confidence, I think everyone's setting themselves up for a lot better outcome. Yeah. I I for sure. I can't it it'd be silly to disagree with that statement. <laughs> um the one of the other things that I'd like to say if, if anybody is thinking about out of state hunts, um 
unless you've pre-scouted it, you mentioned this earlier, like you, you have all your scouting done by the end of Turkey season, which is generally the end of May or early June for a lot of people. Um, you know, if you haven't done that pre-scouting, it is extremely difficult to walk onto a brand new piece of public or any, any property in general without knowing anything about it and kill a deer early season for a variety of the factors that we've already talked about. Main one being deer can kind of bed anywhere. The other one being food is everywhere. So they can really go kind of anywhere for food. There's not a whole lot of limiting factors early season. Water might be a great one if you're in a very warm climate. Um, so if you are planning any sort of out-of-state hunt, and I did this a few years ago, is I wanted to hunt Illinois. Um, or I had in my mind, like, well, if I get a good buck in Wisconsin, and I want to keep hunting. What's the next spot? Can I go? And I, and I thought about Illinois. I was like, all right, well, even on the off chance that I kill a decent buck, I might as well run down here and check out this piece in February. That way, at least come, you know, November during the rut or something like that. I at least have an idea of this piece. So I went down there and I spent a day and a half just scouting it. So spent the night in a hotel, scouted it, you know, six, seven hours the first day, six, seven hours the second day. I ended up killing a buck early that year. Um, this one in the far corner here, okay. right away early season. And, um, and so then I headed down there for four days during the rut, which is when I would, I would suggest people go places um, in like the rut in like, mid-November or early November time frame, just be like your odds are much higher and you're going to be able to just kind of bump into deer. Um, if you're lucky and a lot of the vegetation's down, you're not dealing with a whole lot of the other crap that, that you're dealing with early season. You have a lot more uh, limiting factors. So you can really kind of narrow down where the deer are going to be. But, um, but I went there and all the spots that I had picked out were actually like pretty much taken. Like, I was like, crap, there is a lot more hunting pressure here than I thought there would be. But what I did find was once I started moving in on these pieces, there were a lot of vehicles there, but there wasn't anyone moving really more than 200 yards out of their car. Right. It, it was just a good parcel and they didn't really need to, but I ended up going, you know, I don't know, probably probably took me an hour to get to where I wanted to go. A lot of it because I didn't even know where I was going. Right. I'm just trying to figure out the piece. Right. Um, but, uh, but I ended up getting into a couple great bucks. I had the most, the, the wildest experience I've ever had in the buck in during the rut on this piece of public, a buck coming through grunting makes a scrape does a couple rubs, keeps grunting, chases does around. These does are running all over this hillside and it's ranging between 60 and hundred yards for me. And I can't get a damn shot at anything. And they're just burning rubber. And I'm just sitting there watching it, trying to possibly think about filming it, trying to kill them, trying to do all these different things. And it's just chaos. And it was so cool, but it's because all the other hunters only went 200 yards. And right. I had put in that, that preseason, that really early season scouting to right. even have a general idea as to where and, to go. And I'd tell anybody, like, if you're serious about, you know, whether you're going to hunt um, out of state, whether it's Georgia or Kentucky, most of the time, you know, obviously if I'm going out of state, it's going to be Kentucky just because Kentucky is, um, it's tough, but it gives, I think it's a little bit tougher. It's not like you cream the crop state. It has good hunting, but it's 
a little harder to find those pockets that definitely exist. Um, it's not easy. Uh, I think it used to be a lot better back in the day. I think now a lot of people kind of discovered that golden egg. So a lot of people are hunting Kentucky because you can hunt early and you can hunt all through the year. I mean, I think their season goes out late. Uh, so I think the cat's out the bag on Kentucky. <laughs> but I would say, like for me, when I first started targeting Kentucky, I would encourage anybody, if you're thinking about going to Kentucky or whether it's Illinois or whether you're going to Iowa and you drew Iowa or wherever, Indiana, go ahead and go up there before go after turkey season take a scouting trip for the week and go up there and just break down as much public as you can because you know i'm all about scouting during the hunt and scouting my way through a new piece and i call it kamikaze hunting where i've got my climber <laughs> on my back and all my stuff and i'm just going to scout my way into a spot uh, i do that a lot of times and that's sometimes how i found these new traditional spots on public in Georgia or Kentucky it's scouting my way in. And then I discovered yeah. something. So I do that a lot, but I would definitely encourage people if they're serious about hunting out of state, put the time in, go up there for like a week and burn it through as much stuff as you can. And just because it's the summertime, yeah, those bucks are not going to be in those areas early season. Probably the sign you're finding might be old rubs but that tells me okay this might be a really good corridor you know what i mean right uh, sometimes it's not going to tell you anything by going early but at least you can get familiarized like the spot i killed a buck in kentucky last year on public there was not any rubs there there was no rub no one would even think there's going to be two 130s plus mature 225 pound bucks stroll through here it just didn't look like it but I, I found it hunting my way in. Uh, but other spots you can find, obviously, that you find an old rub line that's on a travel corridor and you go back, you know, late October, Halloween, and you're in the chips and you got bucks running all over the place, cruising, looking for does, and, and you're right there in a, you know, favorable position. Uh, but early, going in there in the summertime, making a scouting trip, that allows you to target, especially for me, Kentucky, I'm targeting your early season beans. What's, what's the field planted in? Like I said before, it might be in corn this year. Yeah. It might be beans this year. How, what, what's the stage growth cycle of the bean? Were they planted early? Were they planted late? Should they be favorable for browse by the time you get there or not? Is there any other human pressure in there since the last time you were in there? So all that yeah. stuff, barreling through it, looking at new spots that might be that next honey hole, all that stuff kind of plays in together. And, uh, you know, let's just face it, it's hard work. I mean, yep. have, have realistic expectations. Uh, you know, anybody that's listening that hadn't went out of state or maybe you have and you've had success and you're nodding your head right now because you're like, yep, that's exactly right. That's <laughs> what I do too. Um, go there early and get familiarized and put in the work beforehand because you have a lot better chance to have a good hunt. Um, yeah. And time of the year is, is big too. Like you said, uh, time of the year you went, if it was me and I haven't hunted Illinois and I have not hunted Indiana or Iowa or Missouri or any of those good States, just Kentucky out of state, 
because I'm more of a turkey hunter. I'm just doing this to pass the time of spring. But, <laughs> but I would say, uh, for me, I'm just a pre-rut type of guy. I want to be there before all the vacation timers come in, and I want to kind of get those good spots first. So yep. I'll, I'll be looking at late October. And that's kind of feast or famine because you might hit it where it's just bucks cruising big time or you might hit it where they're just hadn't quite started yet. So, but if you yeah. got enough time, you know, and you can go the 25th of October through the 7th of November, then you can hunt both sides of that. Yeah. No, then you're in it for the gold for there. Um, all right. I know we're running, we're running a little long on, on time here, but I did, I, we talked about something real early before we even started recording the podcast again. And that is, um, something that I think a lot of people don't understand or they overlook or they get kind of a little depressed about mm-hmm. is not having good bucks on trail cams right now in August. Can you talk about how you think about that? Okay. So, um, you know, I get to kind of talk about Georgia and Kentucky because there again, that's the two States I hunt. I don't hunt deer yeah. anywhere else so far. Like my whole life I've hunted Georgia just here recently started hunting Kentucky out of state. Uh, a lot of the same principles apply, but sometimes they're a little bit different. Um, I'm not obviously running cameras much on public early season Kentucky or Georgia. I might a little bit Georgia public. Like if I know there's a buck bed that I've found and I know, I know that's the spot that I might need to hang a camera. Um, I might not have service to put a camera in there. Cause I'm not wanting to put a camera in there and, and go in there and check it. I'm just, I'm not going to do that. That's sure. uh, your odds are going to go drastically down doing that. So I would throw a cell camera in somewhere where I thought I bucked summer core was um, near the bed, not on top of the bed, but like his entrance and exits of that bed. Um, normal time, normally that's going to be the Creek bottoms, but with Kentucky, I'm not even putting a camera out. Uh, but we could say the same principle applies. Let's say I'm looking at the field, right? I'm looking at the bean field and I'm not seeing any bucks and I've watched it several times. That's not a good sign. That's not a good sign at all. If I'm not seeing bucks early season, summer in velvet already on that food source, I'm, I'm going to find different beans somewhere else because that's not a good sign. They're not just going to show up out, out of the woodwork in Kentucky. If they're there, they'll be there granted the beans are planted late and you got no pressure and you've got the, you know, question your sanity exit, all that stuff. Uh, so I want to see some confirmation on something out of state on beans. I need to see that confirmation in Georgia. It's a little bit different. Um, I've got cameras on private. So those food plots I talked about, I'm not getting any bucks right now. I'm not getting any mature bucks right now. Okay. okay, so we've had a little bit more rain than normal. So th- that summer stress period that most bucks are going to endure this time of year might not be getting it as much. You know, uh, a lot of times they have two stress periods. They're going to have that late winter stress period and they're going to have that summer stress period where a lot of that natural browse is starting to kind of deplete out because that stay at period of growth cycle of that natural browse is starting to kind of peter out. 
when you have a ton of rain and more than normal rain, it kind of keeps that and prolongs that period a little bit longer. Sure. Uh, I'm not really concerned right now that I don't have any target bucks on camera yet. Uh, and I just start, I don't run my camera. I start running cameras about first, second week of August. So I haven't had them out long, but I should have, if I had a mature buck there, if he was there, I would be getting them on camera. Let's just face it. A mature buck, he's coming to corn right now. If it's legal to bait in your state and you've got a little hidey hole food plot in the right area, close to where bucks have security and bedding cover and they're not there on camera, they're not there yet. I'm not really worried about that because what's going to happen a lot of times, some of those spots might be a little bit thicker when they've got velvet on their antlers. They're not, sometimes they're just not summering right on top of where you're at. They might only be 500 to a thousand yards from you, but they've got enough. They've got ample food. They've got natural browse and they're in the open. They're in more of an open environment where they're not pressured and they're not getting their velvet and their antlers caught up in all the thick stuff. They're bedding in creek bottoms and swamps and privet and stuff like that. So once those testosterone levels change and that summer stress period becomes more defined, I'm going to see those bucks start to pop up. That's when you have your people that start posting to your, your, uh, their, their Facebook page or they start texting their buddies, hey, man, um, they named them Rufus or something silly. You know, Jim Bob hadn't showed up on camera, man. And I've been getting them every single day, man, daylight and evening. And, you know, I haven't got them yet. And now that unicorn fairy tale dream of holding that deer, you know, taking those pictures is starting to kind of fade. Yeah. Start to come back down to reality a little bit that, dang, this deer isn't around. Well, that deer is probably starting to shift into his fall range. And that doesn't mean you might not pick that deer up later, but there's going to be a shift there because he's shedding velvet. And let's just face it. And I say that in kid with people, and a lot of y'all might know what I'm talking about, but I've been that person. I've been that oh. exact- I think everybody has a friend on Facebook or Instagram or something that's like, man, my target buck's gone. I haven't seen him in years. Like I haven't seen him in months. He was here every day and now he's not. That's me. I I had a giant, giant deer I hunted for. I shot him in the shoulder one year with a light set up. This is back in 2013, 14. That's when I switched. I started shooting really, really heavy setups back then because it cost me 145 inch georgia deer and i hunted that deer for four years ever since then until he finally disappeared and probably died or something happened to him but that deer i obsessed about that deer i named that deer patrick patrick ewan because his g2s and threes were like 12 inches long (laughs) georgia that's pretty stupid and his oh yeah this deer had 34 to 36 inches of mass as eight pointer but I think he's a nine one year than the eight pointer the last year, but that happened literally every single summer to me since the the time after I shot him and wounded him the next year, every year after I would have that deer like clockwork daylight, 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 leading up, leading up. And then one day late August to early September, it was like heartbreak city. And I'm like over here depressed in the dumps, my whole, weeks ruined because where's patrick at he hadn't showed up let's just face it that deer 
has changed shed velvet. And once that happened every single year, he shifted. And I didn't have enough ground or habitat. And I put cameras on all four corners of the property to try to pick that deer up in his fall shift. And I did not, I would never, could never get that deer in that early season time frame. I could never pick him back up again. Huh. Uh, I would see him show back up late October. That's when he starts showing up again. So that's what happens huh. is they're going to change and shift into that fall range. So if you don't have mature bucks right now on an early season food pattern, whether that's a corn pile, a food plot, whatever it may be, uh, especially if you're in Georgia or wherever you're at, don't like get down in the dumps because good times are probably coming pretty soon. Something's going to shift into you. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's something for everybody, for everybody out there, for people who've got a ton of bucks, man, hope, hope to Lord that they stay Yeah, yeah. and they stick around and people who don't have any bucks, hope to God they move you know, and get on their, and then, and they change their, their betting habits once they get hard horned. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot at that point. And then you also mentioned it earlier, but even then after that, it seems like every two to three weeks, the deer are changing what they want to do anyway. So, you know, and you mentioned just there, like he doesn't even come back until late October. So he leaves, you know, September one and he's gone for two months. Who the heck knows what happens during that two months. No doubt. And I mean, another thing I'm paying attention to on that same farm, I was talking about that deer named Patrick after him, I never named another deer. So I haven't named <laughs> another deer. I think bad luck and uh, everything's been great since I quit doing that. But Hey, not hating anybody that does that. That's, that's cool. Not- I've done it before, but I'm just superstitious. Let's just call me that I'm superstitious, but on that same farm, neighbors for the first time have been clear cutting land. So that kind okay. of tells me when I see something like that and I see a neighbor clear cutting a lot of available habitat where some of those bucks might have shifted to when they shed velvet is, hey, I'm gonna start running cameras on the corners of, that, of our property because I might be shifting around and I might be picking up deer that I used to never pick up. So pay attention to what everybody's doing around you as far as habitat work and you know, forestry practices, because it might push one right to you. Yeah. Oh, no, that's a great, that's a great point. And I think it's a great note to end on. Um, you know, the, we could keep going forever on this stuff, but, uh, but yeah, no, thanks for having, thanks for coming on Jordan. I really appreciate it. This has been super insightful for me. Like I enjoy learning this stuff selfishly. Like I want other people to relate to it and, and find relevancy because like we said earlier, not everybody has 300 acres in Iowa to hunt, you know, with no pressure. It's just, it's just not the reality for so many of us. Um, and even though I'm in Wisconsin, like it's still not my reality. And I like to understand how other people hunt across the country just because, I mean, I might find myself in that type of terrain in that type of climate in that type of scenario in the future in life. And at least now I have some sort of perspective on where to begin and what to do. And really, it's just a ton of boots on the ground, ton of boots on the ground. Trail cameras can help shorten that learning curve. But really, it's just it's it's the it's the steps and the observation and, and walking and finding everything. Um, so if people if people want to find you again, I know I said it right away in the in the beginning. But if you want to find you, where can they where can they look you up? Uh, so YouTube, 
just type in close proximity and it'll come up close proximity TV. Um, Had a phenomenal eight point last year. Check that one out for sure. Uh, well, I hope I hadn't um, <laughs> went through all the horseshoes. I hope I've got a few lucky more <laughs> in my bag for this, this fall uh, based off how last spring was. Um, yeah. Uh, 2020 my, <laughs> I'm not expecting much. Let's just put it that way. I'm just kind of ready to get through this season and get to spring 2021. <laughs> 2020 has been rough, so I'm not really expecting a whole lot, but uh, the work's been done. Everything's lined up. Just going to, um, you know, should have a lot more time to hunt this year. I normally hunt a lot, but I took a job with Mossy Oak Property, so pretty excited about that. Be nice. On hunting land and stuff like that, so I get to live that dream every day. Um, so that should give me a lot more time, time to be in the woods. But yeah, uh, like you say, just going back to what you said, um, and I know we're going to end this cause I know we've been going on a good while, but yeah, I'm, a, I don't claim to be an expert. I'm, I'm learning literally every single day and I try to stay in the woods as much as possible. And let's just face it. When you go to new places, you know, I go up there where you hunt in, in Wisconsin and there's going to be some learning curves there even though I can understand topography and I can understand thermal hubs and I can understand, you know, saddles and things like that. There's still some different learning curves when you get into different habitat. So sure. it's kind of cool to have resources and people you can pull from and podcasts like yours, where you're talking to different people in different regions and uh, it kind of gives your viewers a lot of value and they can pull from depending on which part of the country they're in. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Yep. And that's why, that's why I'm doing it, man. I've enjoyed it. All right. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. You too, brother.